the whole house was stripped out. It was a really productive piece of burglary. They bound and blindfolded Vincent Latore and they took him out to the bush and there they proceeded to beat him and to torture him and to beat him. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes. I think the way to tell the story of Rocky Aria is the way they found his body. This was on a Thursday, 19th of February, 1998. It's a cloudless, still, sunny day, one of a succession of fine days in the drought-stricken countryside around Shepparton in Victoria. There's a grave digger just started work at the Pine Lodge Lawn Cemetery, which is a peaceful spot east of Shepparton, just off the main road to Benalla. It's a very nice place to be buried, and indeed, the grave digger is preparing for a forthcoming funeral. A local old man has just died, and he's due to be buried in the same grave as his ever-loving wife, who predeceased him by about six years. Now, the usual process is that when you're going to have two people from the same family in the same grave, they bury the first one two metres deep, and that leaves plenty of room above the coffin to put a second coffin in above the first. And the grave diggers all know this. They're experts. They've got a backhoe, and they know exactly how far down they can dig without actually hitting the first coffin. So our grave digger is greatly surprised this day when on the first couple of passes over the grave using the backhoe, he strikes something hard only a couple of feet down, only about 50, 60 centimetres into the earth in the grave. And he jumps off his tractor and he runs to the grave and he looks down and he sees that he's torn open some black plastic it's a big black plastic bundle. And where the claws of the backhoe have torn the black plastic, there is something very nasty oozing out. And he thinks, this is not good. I don't know what's happened here. Maybe we've made a mistake or maybe somebody's buried somebody in the wrong grave. But it's not looking good. So he pulls a bit of the black plastic away and he sees some beige-coloured jeans. And he realises that in that black plastic bundle is a, an adult human body. That's when he went to get the supervisor, and that's when they rang the police. It turns out that the discovery of this body solves a little local mystery. And that mystery had been around for six years. And it was the mystery of what happened to a young shepherd and man called Rocky Aria. Now, Rocky was a smart young fella. He had grown up around Shepparton. His parents were hard-working Calabrian migrants who did the best they could. But the best they could wasn't enough for Rocky. Rocky had ideas of buying fast cars and wearing gold jewellery and smoking tailor-made cigarettes and all the rest of the uh, little things that in life that he fancied. And Rocky, at the age of 18, 19, 20 had started to hang around with some of the more colourful citizens of the Shepparton district. And specifically, he hung around with a fellow called Vince Latore, who was a, a local farming identity, among other things, very good with irrigation and vegetables and other plants, and a friend of his called Danny Murta. And Danny Murta was not an Italian, but he had married into a local Italian family and was trusted by them and these people were fairly well known to the local police. They lived on the edge a bit. And they drove the hot Commodores that young Rocky loved and they smoked the most expensive cigarettes and they wore jewellery 
and they always had plenty of cash to flash and they didn't mind a bet on a racehorse or a dog and they lived a very fine life but they lived fast but of course it was suspected by the local police that they took some shortcuts in how they made their money the local police suspected that these people used to stand over other farmers and that if they didn't get what they wanted that the other farmers crops would be mysteriously poisoned in the night or flooded or have their watering pipes cut all sorts of things like that but they probably had a few other tricks up their sleeves too now Vince Latore was one of a big family and we mustn't mix him up with other Vince Latores it's a common name but this Vince Latore lived in Shepparton he did have relatives with the same name living at Werribee and elsewhere and of course we're not talking about them we're talking about Vince from Shepparton and Vince had a brother who had a fruit shop in Bendigo and Vince's brother knew the Bendigo scene pretty well. And one of the other Italian fraternity at Bendigo was a highly successful Italian businessman called Stephen Monti. And Mr Monti was proof that if you worked hard and saved your money in this great country that you would get ahead. And Mr Monti, it was reputed in the local community, had got ahead very well indeed. And it was reputed in the local Italian community that he had a stash of cash and jewellery and other valuables at his big house in White Hills. And somehow it came to pass, allegedly, that the Latore group, we won't call them a gang, they were a group of associates, that Latore and Murta and young Rocky Aria might have got wind of Mr Monty's good fortune. And they might also have heard that Mr Monty had a secret compartment built into his large brick fireplace in his house in White Hills, which is, of course, a suburb of Bendigo. And, in fact, inside this secret compartment was a large amount of cash and of jewellery and other valuables. And what happened was this. Mr Monty's stash was raided by people who must have used jemmy bars and other tools, or crowbars, to lever the bricks aside and to pull the safe out of the wall and to head off with all this cash and valuables and various other things that were around the house. The whole house was stripped out. It was a really productive piece of burglary. A sharp-eyed truck driver just goes to show if you do something in the country, often someone will take notice. A sharp-eyed truck driver who'd been travelling across that day from the Shepparton direction had noticed one of these hot Commodores that the Latouris drove parked at a place called Gornong. And later he saw the same vehicle, which he took note of because he liked cars, his trucking. It was quite a rare Commodore with particular wheels, particular colour, and he, he noted it. And he saw it parked outside a hardware shop. And interestingly, the police later found out that some people that were in that car had bought some jemmy bars at the hardware shop, which are, of course, the burglar's tool of choice. And later on, the same truck driver, as luck would have it, which is very bad luck if you're a burglar, had driven around White Hills making his deliveries and he saw the Commodore at White Hills in the same area as Mr Monty's house that was that day robbed. And he also saw a young, thin fellow about 20 years old answering Rocky Aria's description, obviously looking ill at ease, standing in the street trying to hide behind a power pole that was just a little bit thinner than he was which was a bit sad because Rocky rather stood out and looked really suspicious. And it seemed to the truck driver, who later gave evidence, that Rocky Aria was keeping knit, was keeping a lookout while his uh, colleagues were inside Mr Monty's house robbing the place. What happened next was that 
when Mr. Monty went to the police, howling the house down because he'd been robbed of something like between five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars worth of cash and valuables. This is in nineteen eighty nine. A sum north of five hundred thousand in nineteen eighty nine is a lot of money. It would have bought a lot of farms, it would have bought several houses in country Victoria. It would have bought a very good house in Melbourne in those days. So it's a lot of money and Mr. Monty is very upset and he makes his feelings felt to the police. The police soon form a view that Latore and Rocky Aria may well know something about this. So consequently, there are police raids and the police take Vincent Latore from his flat in Shepparton and at the same time, some other police take Rocky Aria into custody and they interview them at length. Now, I think one of the problems with the whole setup was that they could deny knowing anything about the robbery and they could say they were just in Bendigo visiting Mr Latore's brother, legitimately. And they did say things like that. However, sadly, Rocky had kept some of the hot stuff from the house, from the robbery. He'd foolishly taken some items of not worth much money, but they were clearly Mr Monty's items. And he'd taken them home because he wanted to give them to relatives or whatever. And the police found these items. And these items linked the whole gang, or at least Rocky Aria and his colleagues, to the Monty robbery. And this would later prove a problem. Because when these people were finally taken to court at Bendigo, in 1991, it is pointed out gently by a lawyer that Rocky Aria's appropriation of the property from the robbed house is the one thing that links the whole group to the robbery. And a lawyer points out that this is very unfortunate and that indeed if Rocky were unable to give evidence because, say, he ran away, if, say, he took a long overseas trip, that perhaps it would make it a lot easier to defend because the key link would be gone. Well, that was fine for the lawyer to say that. And that was, of course, a hypothetical. The lawyer was pointing out hypothetically that if Rocky was not able to give evidence because he was absent, that it would be easier to defend. And what happened indeed was that Rocky did go missing. And rumours went around the Shepherd and Benalla areas that Rocky had done a runner. And one of the reasons for this was that Rocky's car was found parked at the Benalla Railway Station car park. And so it was widely assumed and widely repeated in the whole area that Rocky Aria had driven over to Benalla, parked his car there, hopped a train to Melbourne or north to Sydney and vanished. And of course it was spread around that probably he'd been able to get hold of a passport or a false passport or something and had gone overseas and would eventually come home, or not, just depending on how things panned out. But meanwhile, of course, it meant that the case against Latore had collapsed, which was very fortunate for him. Now, I think we should mention a couple of things that happened here. After the police initially interviewed Vincent Latore and Rocky Aria, Mr Latore got another visit. He got a visit at about 1.30 in the morning from two masked men dressed in overalls. And some people thought these men looked like SOG members, which they probably were not. They were just dressed like them. They were just people who dressed like police who belonged to the Special Operations Group. And 
These two tough, rough, masked men grabbed Mr Latouray. They bound and blindfolded his female partner and left her in her apartment. They bound and blindfolded Vincent Latouray and they took him out to the bush. And there they proceeded to beat him and to torture him and to beat him in order to find out where the loot was. They said, you know where it is. You stole it. Where's the loot? Where's the loot? And they belted him and they belted him and they belted him. And either Vincent Latore had no idea where the loot was and is an innocent man or he's very, very tough because he never told them anything. And in the end, these two people took him back into Shepparton and shoved him out the door of the car outside his flat, still blindfolded and bound. And uh, he was so knocked about that he had to be taken to hospital. He was never able to shed any light on who had done this. But interestingly, a local receptionist at a local hotel had noticed two thick-set, strong men dressed like SOG police in the blue overalls and the baseball caps and so on, staying at this hotel. And she passed this on to the police who were then able to trace phone calls from the hotel to Melbourne to a particular detective, which was interesting. And subsequently, two local bouncers were accused of this heinous crime of abducting Vincent Latore and bashing him to try and find out where the loot was. And uh, they, of course, denied it. Interestingly, the call to the detective never really came to anything. No one could ever establish why they'd been having telephone conversations before and after this strange event of abducting Vincent Latore, the suspected burglar and robber. So the case went to court, as we know, at Bendigo, and eventually, when Rocky Aria vanished, the case fell over. The last time that Rocky's mother, Mrs Aria, sees her boy, he's in the backyard of their house in Shepparton, kicking the footy with his little brothers who were still school age. He was still 20 years old, he's still a big kid. He's facing a trial, a second trial, over this robbery. The first one has ended in a hung jury. They've put their house up as surety that he'll turn up to the second trial. But he's living a life. He thinks he'll beat it. He says to his uh, brothers, tell mum that I'll be home later tonight. I've just got to go around town and see a few people. So he hops in his white falcon that he's very proud of and he heads off. And normally he would gather with his other brothers around town. They'd have a drink here or a drink there or gather down near the lake, have a few cool ones, perhaps chat up some girls, whatever they might do. And then he'd be home late to have some dinner with his parents. But he doesn't come home. Now, it's not the first time that Rocky, who's 20, has stayed out all night. It does happen. But he's very conscious that his parents will worry about him. So if he ever stays out all night, he always rings them first thing in the morning and says, I'm okay. And then he comes home later. But there's no phone call on this Saturday morning. There's no phone call this Saturday lunchtime. There's no phone call later that afternoon. And by Sunday, they are frantic. The parents are frantic. They know their boy wouldn't just disappear on them without telling them. He wouldn't do it. So on the Sunday, they go to a local detective. A local detective I knew, he's no longer with us. And they were with Vincent Latore, which was interesting. And the detective was quite intrigued by the difference between their demeanour. 
Because Vincent Latore's attitude was, oh, he's just pissed off because he's frightened. He's just pissed off somewhere. He's frightened about the second trial and he'll turn up. Whereas the parents are totally terrified for their boy's safety. They know he wouldn't run away without telling them. They know that he wouldn't run away knowing that they've put their house up for surety that he will appear at court because he wouldn't want to cost them their house. So from the very first, they fear for his safety. They fear that he's dead. But no one knows that for a fact until six years later when that grave digger finds him in another man's grave. You can read my column in the Sunday Herald Sun or at heraldsun.com.au. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.